Have you, you never thought? Have you never thought about having a, a dog? Because Rory's got half decent dog. My dogs are brilliant. Have you ever thought about maybe cats? You got cats, haven't you? They're a bit of a waste of much time. Much like camping, you? you do what you did when you were a kid. Yeah. So if you're a dog family, you get a dog. If you're a cat family, you get a cat. Also, mm. well, Gemma, Gemma's a, a dog family. I'm a cat family, but our house is not conducive to dogs in any way. So we had to choose. That's true because your house is upside down. It's upside down, and if you turn a cat upside down, they'll always end up on their feet. If you turn a dog upside down, flail about like a turtle. They'll yeah, they'll just yeah. be freaked out. But if you if you were to have a dog what breed of what breed of dog appeals to you I, I love dogs I'd, I'd have a dog if it was at all practical yeah absolutely. I think a shih tzu would suit you down to the ground it really would what are you saying about my friend Sue um, she's fine <laughs> mostly um, I uh, I don't know that's a good that's a good question I mm. think if, if it is a good question if I it? had all the time and all the money in, and the biggest house in the world I'd like to get a kind of Alsatian German Shepherd husky type Type very you, energetic you, dog. I can see you with an Alsatian, just wandering about the streets, the the dog growling at people, it, wearing leather on one of those chain, one of those metal the chains. <laughs> it's, it's the only way that she would have any menace about him. It, whatsoever. That would really. I mean, it, oh, I'm I not could use it. Would, I could use it to get street cred. I'm not convinced even <laughs> no. then that Hugh would have any menace Hang on. about him. He's dressed like a country and western singer. If he had, and that Alsatian wouldn't balance out what he looks You're like. Right. <laughs> this, this, this is this eh? is. This it is looks like a male Dolly Parton. There's no way. This is the um, area of my wardrobe that you never see because this is work wardrobe. I have work wardrobe, which is at the bottom. Then I have casual friends slash fun work wardrobe, which is what I normally wear when I'm around you. Mm. Then I'll have... Um, Why are we only casual friends? Bus- business yeah, casual, which is slightly smarter, really well. which you will be prepared to work in public. And then you'll have your, you know, your glad rags, your rags, which are glad. Do you? So that's a work shirt you've got on there. This, I, will ne- I would never wear this apart from at work. It's gone, Why are you a lumberjack? Been, it's Why been, have you got that on? It filtered all the way down. You know, you kind of have nice clothes that you go, oh, I've got to put it in the work pile now. No. So that's, that's what I've done. I don't think people do that, Hugh. I, um, I did a thing a couple of weeks ago <laughs> at the National Football Museum for the Blizzard. I presented. Yes, you did. You were hosting. We we saw them tweeting prolifically about it and recognised many of the stories that you told. Roy. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm I'm a man of very little original content. <laughs> the and I said to Kate, I said I'm going. I've got to do this thing on 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 Thursday. Um, I'm going to I'm presenting a thing at the national. Football You've got Museum. to do it, or you want to do it. Well, a bit of both, change a bit of both. Was there some green involved? Oh, you were present. You were. Pre- I thought I you were part of a panel. I was no, hosting. The hosting. You were host. Oh, okay. They Apologies. They couldn't get anyone professional to do it. It's a, well, they didn't ask me, but it's also a very difficult job. I think you find to uh, both host and contribute. I, I, I tried to contribute as little as possible. Some, some of my opinions were so strong they just had to be aired. Yes, yeah, so well, that's true. Of a host as well, it's very but important that you speak the least. Kate, Kate immediately worried about my wardrobe because my wardrobe <laughs> has has two gears, which is dog walking clothes. And some others. <laughs> and um, she said, What are you going to wear? A tux. I don't know what. <laughs> you should have done. You seriously should have done. You should have done. Because it sounded quite. National Football Museum is a, is a, is a big venue. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. proper venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like Stanley Matthews then. <laughs> the last time Kate and I went was together. And it was, the, it was our last night out before Ed was born and was for an induction ceremony to the Football Hall of Fame. We weren't being induced. Uh, although <laughs> although it was several days <laughs> later, that time. two weeks later, we were. And, um, and I wore a touch to that because it was a properly formal event. So I think Kate had re- thought that that's just how people dressed to go to the National <laughs> Football Museum. I think they, they dressed up to go to actual football matches a while ago. We took the kids the other day. It's very difficult to find a tux in the size for a seven and four-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We are not for the first time blessed with a gift from the land of Croatia. 
courtesy of my dear wife, Gemma. I think she's beginning to actually take business trips to Zagreb just to see if the airport has a new selection of chocolates. So uh, here we go. The, these are sister chocolates to the, a few weeks ago, mint chocolates from Croatia. Uh, these are made by, I think, the same company. And they are, of course, Lesniak Badem Nugat, which you'll understand is strawberry creams. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, it's it's nougat and uh, almond nuts. So uh, we'll distribute that as we chat, if that's all right. Yeah, that sounds ideal. I'm just relieved they're not actually strawberry creams. So your wife goes to Croatia quite a bit then? Yeah, she's been twice in the last two or three months. She doesn't have a family over there, does she? Or <laughs> have a secret family? Yeah. A better looking alternative she a, husband. She has an upside down house with dogs in it. As long as, <laughs> as long as they pay half the bills, that's all I care about. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, one dog, one child, Stephen Wyeth, two children, and Andy Hinchcliffe, two dogs, two children, one ex-wife, and still only seven England caps. Oh. Uh, you can get into, who are you waving in? Are you waving somebody in? It's Danny. Oh, are we going to meet your son? Is he going to behave himself, or is he not that Danny? Oh, there's more Danny. than one Danny in your in life. my life. Uh, well, in that case, uh, he's not important, so screw him. Uh, get in touch with the podcast if you would like at <laughs> setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com, or on Facebook, you can just search setpiece uh, menu. Incidentally, a correspondent who will, as of now, receive receive long overdue buffalo status, uh, recently revealed his setpiece menu bingo mark three. This is the third version of the set-piece menu bigo sheet. So thank you, Mark Cole, at black underscore bile on Twitter. Um, I have a copy of it here. Uh, there have been many changes. Uh, they now include underscore 11 for our select 11s, in and out swinging corners. Portugal, I think, remains. Hector or Lola now in brackets. Analog man in a digital age, which is something that we should <laughs> really need to bring up a little bit more often. MC Hugh, which is important on there for just my marketing purposes so that people keep calling me and getting me to MC stuff. Is that your rap name? That is my rap name. I thought about it long and hard. Workshopped it, several meetings, yeah. came up with MC Oh, Hugh. I read that as Muck Hugh. Oh, I thought you? you were going to become Scottish. No, that's because that's because <laughs> you're really down with the kids. Frosted Tips gets in there, but might have to be taken off for the next time, unless you have another midlife crisis. The, you missed out the best ones. There's the best one is... Well, it's either Ice Hockey T-shirts... Dennis Twade or Terry Hardcastle. <laughs> it's been a while since Terry. I think we need the autumn to really set in before Terry Hardcastle arrives back with his um, yes, his jacket, his bomber jacket with the sleeves rolled but up. But is that That's like it it's like Death in Paradise, isn't it? They sort of, they always put like sunny TV shows on in January to cheer up a depressed population. Terry Hardcastle needs, needs to appear in the autumn when when you know the the glory of summer has finished and we're, we all need a, a bit of a shot in the arm and. And Terry makes a return. Criminals right. don't take the summer off, though, Rory. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, they do. They go to Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> and there he is uh, uh, twice, which is a little bit more than is necessary. Um, we will put, of course, uh, the bingo sheet on uh, Twitter so you can see it uh, if you haven't already because it's gone through several phases. Uh, Ravi Veach writes, uh, thanks for getting in touch, Ravi. Hello, Rory, Andy, and amongst others, um, which thankfully remains on Wikipedia. I wanted to say congratulations on revolutionising the football pod. You can see why this one's in as well as listening to set piece menu I also dabble in the BBC's football daily podcast which I, I've no doubt Never many of, of you uh, will know about in a new format this season he writes they have added a banter in inverted commas intro and outro which I can only assume they have taken inspiration from the work of set piece menu kudos uh, says Ravi not the first time that somebody's taken one of ideas and completely stolen it. Um, 
At so, the BBC. <laughs> at, at the BBC. At the BBC yeah. as well. Uh, the day after our pod um, on the transfer window came out, there was a BBC Sport website piece noted as well by Thomas Kelly on Twitter that had a frighteningly similar headline. Steve and I are in the same office often enough. You can just come and ask. Intellectual property isn't that expensive. Just before we uh, get to our uh, subject on the podcast today, we have somebody walking in who is a man of this great standing. This happens all the time this in my house. Chinch- People just want they're in off the yeah. street member at Chinches. Sky Sports Daniel Mann, how are you? Very well. <laughs> <laughs> the future of commentating has entered Chinfork. On last week's podcast, <laughs> on, on last week's podcast, Dan, you got several mentions as being a, a real highlight of Andy Hinchcliffe's career. He was contrasting with low lights, which often was me, so feel grateful about it's that. Interesting, actually, he, he talks of you as though you are one of his closest friends, and I, I would love to know whether you consider him really a worth acquaintance. You can crush me now. <laughs> crush me now. No, I, I, can, I consider him a very, very close colleague. More than colleagues. More than colleagues. Okay. With your, <laughs> More than with colleagues. Your, your, your a major inconvenience. Tones, Danny, that, yeah, that makes it sound slightly sexual. Um, so you're going to have to sit there quietly and not eye up the gorgeous Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, today on the podcast, we're asking a very simple question that after around 30 minutes of waffle, uh, will not have a simple answer. What is beautiful football? There are endless contributions already made to this debate, but one of the more recent pieces that caught our collective eyes uh, was by Jonathan Liu for The Independent. Jonathan wrote last December that beautiful football is one of those terms that gets strewn around with impunity, despite being spectacularly ill-defined. It has, at various times in football's history, connoted both immaculate defence and immaculate attack. It has been used to describe mazy wingers, visionary midfielders, towering headers and well-oiled formations. Nothing about left-backs. These days, it seems to attach itself to whichever side Pep Guardiola happens to be managing at the time. Clearly, Guardiola's Manchester City are an excellent side, one with verve, adventure and outstanding individuals. But I would dispute that they are a beautiful side, says Jonathan. Guardiola's Barcelona, the passing triangles, the neat swivels, the softly padding feet of Messi, the da Vinci and parabola of that chip against Arsenal. Yes, 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 yes. But City, too many tap-ins. Too much naked aggression, too little chill. So are we too quick to assign the word beautiful to something that is demonstrably good and successful, but not necessarily beautiful? Is beauty in the context or in the significance? Or is it something that is devoid or free of both? Jonathan, in his piece, quotes Socrates, both a philosopher and the chain-smoking footballer. <laughs> but this is the Brazilian. He says, for me, beauty comes first. Victory is secondary. And what really matters is joy. So then, what is Beautiful football. Well, so the other the other person who's who I would take inspiration from on this is Neil Atkinson, who's a friend of mine. Who not uh, Nigel Atkins? Not Nigel <laughs> Atkins. Neil Atkinson, who run uh, is part of the Anfield Rap, uh, a group of Liverpool podcasts uh, that is very popular. Um, and Neil always says that he doesn't doesn't like it when he is told that something is a good game or a bad game, or that he should be enjoying something, or he shouldn't be enjoying something, or that long ball football is ugly, or that short passing football is beautiful because, and this is his quote, some people like the rain and he compares it to on the weather forecast when they say, unfortunately, it will be raining uh, for the rest of 2018. Uh, And and they take on that really sombre tone. And Neil's point is, well, hang on, what what if you like it when it's raining? Some Some people like it when it's raining. Some people like it when it's snowing. Some people like it when it's hot. Stop telling me what I'm meant to like. And I, I often think that with this kind of idea that the only a Guardiola team, only a a a team that plays in that style, in that Barcelona style with with those kind of values and those kind of strengths, 
can be beautiful. If you like, if you find long ball football beautiful, as long as it's done well, it, it probably can be beautiful. There is a beauty to any sort of football that is a plan put into action and executed well. That's where I think there is beauty, is seeing a team function as it's meant to function. Surely winning football is pretty much the, the standout objective of the game. I mean, how long and how often do you need to have been winning for before you would complain about the way, the style well, coach, in which you're winning? Coaches always say it's the, the substance is first, getting results. Then you maybe have the luxury of, of how you gain those results. But normally, you don't, surely you don't start off with saying, let's try and play beautiful football. Let's sign Robbie Savage and Carlton Palmer. Clearly, it's not going to be so beautiful, although some people might like that midfield combination. Well, that's what I mean. So if some, some people might find that combination of a player who's got legs too long for his body <laughs> and a kind of an enthusiastic <laughs> golden got, retriever. I was going to say, person who's got <laughs> hair too long for his body. <laughs> Who doesn't like a heavy first touch? Exactly. <laughs> There's beauty that, in a heavy So that's what I mean. So I think, I think <laughs> you can say, I think it's probably fair to say that it has to be something done well to count as beautiful. But I would separate, I think we need to separate winning and beauty. I think winning football is, is, is like you both say, more important. It's what, it's what keeps managers in their jobs. It, it's what fans, I think, probably ultimately care about most is their team winning. Beauty is separate. You can be a beautiful team who loses a lot. That's perfectly possible. There's plenty of teams who are beautiful and lose a lot. And I think it's, it's whether we can actually quantify or establish or agree upon what counts as beautiful, what's a yeah. beautiful way to play regardless of the result. So in the last 10 years, are we looking at Tikataka as being beautiful? Is that what we would consider to be beautiful it football? Became, well, most people would consider it to be. It became the accepted version of what was beautiful. Because it got but very boring. It, the more you see it, exactly, it's beautiful exactly. to start with and you think, right, oh, you're doing it again, are you? Well, it, again. Was, it becomes incredibly tedious. It was originally, and this is well known now, was originally coined by Javier Clemente, who's, a, who's the Tony Pulis of Spain, <laughs> uh, who, um, who used it as an insult. It was, t- ah. it mean, I mean, it means Tony Pulis. Tony Pulis sweats less. Clemente is a, is a slightly moist man, yeah. I would agree with you, but it's, hot, it's hotter in Spain. That's fine. If Tony yeah. Pulis, he probably, well, with that cap on underneath. That we know cap, of. We, he might be... You're there right. might be rivers running underneath well, we that tracksuit. We don't know. <laughs> we do famously know that Tony Pulis, for reasons that, that until now have remained mysterious, has a shower and the occasional naked fight in the dressing room after <laughs> games. We know that from James Beattie's experience. So if he's having a sh- if a manager needs to shower after a game, he must be sweating sweating buckets. <laughs> Is that why he stands up during press conferences? <laughs> Is that just to let the river run through the bottom of his trousers? <laughs> Didn't Chinch have a club doctor that used to have a shower after the game? Doc though, Irving, so yes, yeah. who never went onto the pitch for a good six years, <laughs> yet still wore a tracksuit during the course of the game and showered afterwards. He's just retired. Have he not moved? He, Doc Irving? Yes, he has. Retired. Yes, I saw him in John Lewis recently. He was That's an excellent chap, but he, luckily he had his clothes on. <laughs> The, but I think so, so. Yes, Tiki Taka was was uh, coined as an what, insult. Was an insult, and there were people who, at the height of the t- sort of Tiki Taka era, referred to it as passinaccio because it was it it was so stifling and so kind of uh, what's the word so restricted in the way that the game it was. There were a lot of one nil wins when mm-hmm. when you play the height of Tiki Taka. That Spain team didn't win a lot of games like four or five nil. They weren't exciting. And that is a, it's kind of a related but possibly different subject. But is that what, is that what people would consider be- that beautiful? That seems football? to have been accepted as the standard of what beautiful football is, that short passing is central to beauty in yeah. football. And the question I would ask is why? Because people are stupid. And people don't have the wealth of knowledge of football teams and how football can be played. I, I do agree with you. Counter-attacking football 
is devastating and devastatingly beautiful to watch, isn't it? Three or four passes from one end of the pitch to the other. But that's not tick attack. Clearly, it's completely the opposite. But I would rather see that than see 400 passes end up with a, a tapping on the goal line. But you very rarely hit... And so that sort of top quality, well, well-drilled counter-attack, that's, that's always attracts praise from people. But you very rarely hear it described as beautiful, mm. devastating, yeah, or it's effective, effective, dynamic, or, dynamic yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. People don't call it beautiful. Beautiful is an adjective that seems to be exclusively the preserve of teams who play a lot of short possession. Passes, so possession-based is, football is beauty. But I think that is a subj- it's such a subjective thing. I, I don't actually think that appeals to a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people who don't really like watching a team recycle the ball endlessly to no obvious purpose. The difference with the very best teams with Barcelona is that they were doing it for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think quite a lot of the time, and Arsenal may be the best example of this, just the the best vendor teams were counter-attacking sides. Mm-hmm. They were devastatingly effective. They would... Hmm. Those two words together. Really. But you know, <laughs> those two words obviously have to be paired constantly <laughs> whenever anyone talks about football. But they would play three, four, five passes, ten seconds, one end of the pitch, the other store, store a goal. That was how Wenger... That was how the Invincibles played. It's how Wenger won the title in 2002. Wenger's later teams were built around the principles of Titi Taka, and to be honest, they were quite boring to watch. They were, they were pretty in the sense that they could all pass the ball and they'd, they'd horseshoe around the box and then they'd get nowhere, then they'd horseshoe again and horseshoe so again. So did coaches get drawn into thinking if this is what people consider to be the best side in, in Europe, in the world, playing this way? Did coaches get duped to think, well, I, if I play that way, the fans will think, surely they're playing the best way for the players that they have? Or do they feel this is the acceptable, the best way, the most beautiful way to play, so I'm going to do that as well. Surely they didn't think that Wenger wouldn't have thought like that, would he? Surely with the players he had, he, he played to their strengths? I wonder if, if, to an extent, coaches looked at it and thought, they are having good results playing like that. We have the technical ability to do that. Let's see if we can have the same results. I think that's probably mm-hmm. a fair enough. It looks like best practice, so let's, let's adopt it. That's probably a fair enough mm-hmm. conclusion to reach. But I, I think the only reason it looked so beautiful with Barcelona and Spain was just not just because they had good players, but the specific players they had and the specific combination of players they had meant it worked for them and there was a beauty to it. I don't think, and this is, I don't know if I want to say that because people will shout at me, but I'm not even sure that Guardiola at Bayern or at City, as good as both of those teams are, I agree with Johnny Liu, I don't think either of them are as beautiful as Barcelona. I don't think they're beautiful to watch in the same way. They're, they're, they're better in some ways and worse in others, but you don't have the same kind of breathtaking... I was at the 5-0 when... when so when it, Messi destroyed Real Madrid, and that 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 was that it was wasn't just it, was it wasn't just possession for the sake of possession; it was possession with a with purpose. A purpose yeah. yeah, but we we speak about this all the time. We say that that, that Pep Guardiola doesn't like Tiki Taka because for him, as you say, Rory, it is uh, a phrase derived from somebody having a go at you mm. for keeping it for for, for, for possession's sake, keeping and, it away and, from and, the opposition. Yeah. Yeah. and and that's not how he works. And so he he gets annoyed when people associate his football. Um, with Tiki Taka, it's kind of a lazy stereotype. There's loads of lazy stereotypes um, regarding football that we should get more annoyed about uh, than this. But the best goals that he would say City have scored under his tenure would be the ones where every person touches a ball, but only once, and it takes about 20, 25 seconds. Those are the ones that he enjoys, where every, every player touches the ball, but once or twice, and it's very quick, it's not this methodical horseshoeing, as you said, Roy. He gets very, very frustrated with the element of horseshoe where you have a, a fullback passing it to a centre-back, to a centre-back, to a fullback. If he doesn't see a forward pass in two or three passes, he's flinging water bottles. He's getting absolutely furious on, mm-hmm. on the sideline. So he appreciates, too, that there is 
a methodology in Tiki Taka that is negative and he gets just as frustrated as anybody with its lack of forward progression. Well, so if we do, lack if, of directness. If we say. agree then that not all passing football is beautiful and that it is wrong to assume that beauty and passing are the same thing, can other styles of football be beautiful? Is there, Can you be a long ball team and be beautiful? Well, surely winning football is beautiful for those people who are watching it week in, week out. Inter fans aren't going to reflect on the... 2009-10 season when they won the treble under Jose Mourinho and not say that wasn't a fantastic season but I don't think too many people hold up Jose as an example of an exponent of beautiful football and I know someone who does Jose well, yes. apart, well exactly. apart from Jose <laughs> but there's lots of things that Jose thinks that everybody would disagree with but that, that, that was part of the rant that he had to, a couple of weeks ago when he left the press conference after the Spurs game he was talking about the, you know he's listing his own achievements self-preservation which um, I think Sam Wallace wrote on his piece in very, the oh, very good journalist yes, yes, yes. excellent uh, and Hampton. he was talking about he, he always very, defaults very to the position of I'm going to protect myself and don't worry about I'm not, not going to mention Manchester United at any point in this but he, he feels that winning is, is the most important thing so. yeah. but his philosophy is being questioned now because it's not as successful as it was his first spell at Chelsea nobody was complaining about the the way they went about their business but it was it was winning football and it was to be admired for that the the complaint about the type of football that he likes his teams to play has now there's a growing momentum behind that because it's not proving as successful anymore. But the thing is that, as you say, winning is beautiful to the people who are watching it, to the people who are emotionally invested with it, it in it. Are you saying beauty is in the eye of the beholder? <laughs> That'd be a good, that, that should be a cliche. It's a good slogan, that. Yeah. Yeah. Should, yeah. Write, write that down. The, write that down. No, but it, I think if we accept a neutral standard of beauty, a neutral observer, what would they consider beautiful? I'm not sure that they would. That any neutral would have thought of that inter-team as being especially beautiful to watch. They might have thought they were impressive and well-drilled and you might be able to admire them but you maybe didn't they very rarely left you with your with your sort of jaw on the floor despite the fact they actually had a, a lot of extremely good footballers but the, the style of football is most important to the people that follow that club if your team is playing beautiful passing football but losing every week you're not going to be going home and saying she makes, yeah, well, we lost three nil again, but it was glorious to watch. Yeah, but you You'd still, still be called raging. it beautiful, even in describing. Yeah, but I'm saying, no, you're not going but to be going home you, and saying. Would wasn't neutrals that say it was beautiful, even in defeat? I'm not sure. That, no, because they'd talk about naivety. They'd talk about getting tactics wrong. They'd talk about trying to play a style of football that the players in that team weren't capable of. So there'd be nothing to admire about it. But you're talking about beautiful football leading to something. If we're just talking about the concept of what I'm, is beautiful football yeah, and take exactly, the winning yeah. away I'm, from I'm, the... I'm talking about how success yes. defines what is admired and therefore what gets potentially the tag of well that was beautiful because that expression will come at the end of a sweeping move in which a goal is scored and oh that is a beautiful goal but the, the, end, the end doesn't justify the means you're not going to be reflecting on beauty if it isn't also successful. In fact, you're not even going to be interpreting it as beauty. But would, does that not run into the, the endless argument of Holland 1974? Have we that had that argument before? Has it been endless? Is it, no, it's a general, <laughs> general, general endless yeah, yeah, argument. Yeah. That, that Holland team did not win anything, but were a standard of beauty. And you do talk about the way they played much more than the West Germany team that beat them, who were a very, very good team with loads of amazing players but did not have that same kind of elan, that same panache, and therefore did not live as long in the memory. I don't think football is just about winning. I think football is about creating memories and 
enjoying a journey for the fans and for the neutrals. And I think football is even less about winning now than it has ever been. And I think part of the problem Mourinho's got, this will be the last mention of Mourinho, <laughs> from me, is that clubs now don't need managers just to win football matches or win trophies. That is only part of the job. And that's not necessarily right or what it should be. But I think increasingly you have to unify your fan base behind a sense that something is happening and in make them enjoy what they are seeing, particularly the ones in the stadium who've paid for it, but also everyone else who's paid for the TV channels. So I think beauty is incredibly important, oh, even away from whether it has any tangible success. And that has always been something in, within football that we remember the teams that play. This thing about no one remembers the losers is not right because people remember Holland 74 and Brazil 82 as two of the best teams ever, and they won and, nothing. And Hungary. And Hungary, and Hungary in the 50s, yeah. who were also beaten by West Germany. So is that, is that football that's admired rather than football that's beautiful? I think you can, everyone probably admires... Maybe that's what it is. Maybe everyone admires football that is done well, whatever type of football that is. So even you know the Tony Pulis stuff yeah. teams, you could admire what they did. If the philosophy is well executed. Yeah, yeah. you could admire them. But beauty is, is something that's maybe... Yeah, some beauty and admiration are, are different, separate things, I guess. So do you feel that owners of clubs now are looking maybe at the way Guardiola's teams play or Klopp's teams play, This the high-pressing style? That seems to be what most fans want. Do they? Would most fans want their team to play that style of football? If we're talking about, is that not so most beautiful, but it's effective with teams that have great players. Are owners now thinking about bringing coaches in who will play that way? Because regardless of how results go, okay, we'll win some, we'll lose some. But at least we can say, well, we're, we're playing in the, the, the most effective or, or the modern way or the most beautiful way of playing the game because Guardiola's doing it, Klopp's doing it. I think Even Bielsa's doing it for, for Leeds in the, in the championship, this high-pressing style of football. So is that where clubs might go down the road of actually the, the people they employ will play that style of football now, whether it's winning football or not? I think it's, it's not even so sort of intangible as... It's the modern thing to do. We are we're at the cutting edge. I think it's it's an economic thing. I think if you are playing high octane pressing football, then you are satisfying the crowds in the stadium who have paid a huge amount of money for the tickets. You are satisfying the people who've paid for TV subscriptions to watch their team wherever it may be, and it does vary a little bit. Being play high pressing football, that's not what they associate as with being beautiful, or, or maybe there isn't a an objective answer to the question. Um, so but it could I, be cultural as well, you think? It's across, cultural, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely cultural. And But I do think that a lot of clubs in England, certainly, and perhaps, well, Germany, I would guess, and maybe across Europe to an extent, are thinking, we need to play an attractive style to satisfy the fans in the stadium and the fans at home and to attract new fans so that people want to watch us in all these emerging markets. And I think that is as important as whether you win the game or not. Mm. That yeah. undermi undermines beauty a little bit, doesn't it? If we're talking about beauty being this beautiful concept, <laughs> we're just <laughs> making it as uh, clunky as everything else. Well, in, in, in anticipation of the Bundesliga coming up, as it often does, I, I did look into it and compared last season in the Bundesliga and the Premier League because there is. I always get the sense from watching German football, and I'm you know now there are two representatives of Sky Sports in the room. It's difficult to talk about there being a league that might be able to rival the Premier League as the best in the world but <laughs> you're going to get da Daniel's only just arrived you're going to get him walking out <laughs> yes championships are best in the world that there's, you sense there's less cynicism about the way teams in, in Germany go about their business which I find quite beautiful they, more often than not both teams are trying to win the game which 
you can't say you see in the Premier League week in, week out. And that the teams that were relegated from the Bundesliga last season vastly outscored the teams that were relegated from the Premier League. So they went, you got the sense they went down fighting. They didn't go down with a whimper. Cologne were bottom pretty much from game one in the Bundesliga in 2017-2018. Yet, despite playing four games fewer than West Brom, they comfortably outscored them by, I think it was by sort of, yeah, by 35 goals wow. to 31. <laughs> and they played four games oh. fewer. Four. I thought it was going to buy 35, 35 goals. goals. 35 <laughs> goals, 231. Your, your dramatic pauses, know, Steve. Sorry. Very, <laughs> very emotional. I was just building up a part. <laughs> but, okay, so... So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a... You can... You can if you're, if you're just going to discuss the concept of beautiful football, you can spread it out beyond admiring a team mm. as the way that a collective, maybe in, you know, an entire league's worth of teams, go about their business in terms of providing entertainment. Which I broadly agree with, but I would say with the Bundesliga that the, the beauty is diminished in some way by the fact that they are all totally inept at defending. And I <laughs> but think they, they understand. I think, I think they know that, which is why they go out to try and they yeah. go out on the front but foot because they know if they try and defend, it's just going to be carnage. But it's sort of circling because now they're, I mean, they're getting worse at defending German teams. <laughs> they are really, they're really forgetting how to even Look, bother if trying. If you can't do something, then you might as well just... But it's, try. there's now also a cynicism in that though because you, you, if you play attacking football or high concept football and you win or you feel like it gives you the best chance to win in the first place but also if you lose you've got an excuse because you are playing that football so for chief executives and chairman yeah. that that is the kind of the safe place to be isn't it yeah and i think it's the same as putting loads of loads of young players in a bit of leeway with them do you need goals to be beautiful <laughs> i would tell you that the perfect game ends nil nil isn't the perfect shot unsavable uh, nothing, nothing's unsavable. This is not Roy the Rovers where the goalkeeper gets carried into the back of the net by a, a <laughs> no, speeding ball. It doesn't get carried into the back of the net. <laughs> yeah. It goes through him. It goes through him. Yes, because that happens, doesn't it? As a player, what's beautiful football? Well, I certainly didn't play it because it's bloody <laughs> awful every game I played. Yeah. We shall it's end our I conversation on this. Uh, this but there is, it's like we're, we're, we're equating probably beautiful football to attacking football to winning football. But there is a beauty in in making a last-ditch tackle against Egil Ostenstadt to keep it at nil-nil between Sheffield Wednesday Google and it. Southampton. Google it, Google it. it Des Walker forever pats me on the back for covering his backside after he made a, the <laughs> one error he made in his whole career. But there is a bit, and the fans love a clearance off the line or a great save. Des Walker scored an own goal in the cup final. Accidentally, though, I think you'll find, wasn't it? Or did he just head it into his own net? Or did he? Well, no, he did. He headed it into his own net. He did head it into his own net. Yeah. Okay. Made two glaring errors. <laughs> but there, there is a there, there is. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that there is a beauty in watching an incredibly well-drilled team defend really well. That that can be beautiful. Yeah. And the Gordon Banks save from Pele is beautiful. What, what's difficult about that Italian argument, whilst I agree with it, is that if you have a perfectly well-drilled defence, you know what the other team are going to do? They're going to be ticky tackering the hell out of it, yeah. aren't they? Horseshoeing around the box, <laughs> yeah, no one exactly, going anywhere. Absolutely nowhere to go. That'll be awful. Uh, so, therefore, um, at the end of that discussion, what you about, can uh, completely agree that we've got nowhere. And let's change this. The, no, no, no. The, the, problem the 1970 World Cup final Brazil, would we say that's beautiful? In memory, yeah. But or if, if you, they'd played like that and lost, would we still be saying that is if you, you, won, you were one. Do you remember it well? What? It, you were one. Yes, I do remember it well. I was forward thinking even at that age. <laughs> People should watch that game. Nobody is running. No. Nobody in that game is running at all. It is in Mexico City. It's incredibly it's at hot. at altitude. It's incredibly hot. I'm sure Carlos Alberto runs forward 
to score. I'm convinced he you does. Think in your mind, that yeah. Charles Alberto sprinting. I would posit that Charles Alberto is basically jogging gently. He got a bus. He got a bus to the edge of the box. Jumped off it and lashed it home. <laughs> Everybody else is walking. It looks like that. Just Bar- as that bubble, it, 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 oh, it looks it like the Bartley's walking football advert. That game. It really does. <laughs> but is that not beautiful? No. With is that not? Yes. So how would we? How would we? Who would we say? Wait, if we without, Jane Holland, seventy-four, so is that, that beauty? But without success, that goal. Yeah, the Thomas Alberto goal, which is is up there with the the absolute sort of universal standard of beauty. With Hinchcliffe against QPR, yeah. Hinchcliffe against QPR and Carlos <laughs> yeah. Alberto against Italy. Yeah. yeah, that is a beautiful goal to me and to you, and to you and to you and to Daniel Mann. Oh, yeah. Daniel yes. Mann says yes. Mm. The seal of approval. But beauty is a subjective it thing. Is. So to totally. some people, they might look at that and think... Italians will think that. No. There is no marking on Carlos Alberto. Who's tracking I would up? probably have pointed that out if I was covering that well, game. Well, he saying, was coming down the right-hand very side. Poor, so what very was the poor. left-back doing? That's my question. Get, get closer to Pele. Clearly, you can't let him turn and lay the ball <laughs> off like that. Exactly. There are mistakes, and therefore it's not beautiful. Well... Mm. But it was, though. It, it, was, was, it, it was beautiful. We'll, we'll have another conversation about a beautiful match, perhaps. Yeah. You, we've hinted at it, and we'll perhaps talk about wh- what makes a beautiful match, whether it's loads of goals, whether it's no goals, whether it's mistakes, whether it's good things, whether it's... So the perfect match is nil-nil, because attacks, really good, defence is really good, it's nil-nil. That, that's, that, that's the epitome the of footballing beauty. That is the quote from an Italian coach in the 30s whose name I have forgotten, but I think it was Giacomo or something. Giacomo? Not Giacomo. <laughs> that's Jermaine. No, not, that's not, not Giacomo. Not the extra large clothing. <laughs> you know, that, that, that could be named after anybody. But if it's going to finish nil-nil, what styles of football, that's what we're saying, is it? What is, is what it long style? ball against tick attack? I'm glad at the this end of this conversation it. you finally engaged with it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was just listening. It was really, it was really good. I, I enjoyed parts of it. Chinch has an epiphany, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, 45 minutes in. Uh, Chinch, you've yes. got more work to do now. It's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. We are, I think I'm correct in saying, in the year of our Lord 2018. And I am correcting that, Stephen. I am, aren't I? Yes. I just checked the calendar calendar on the wall. I am correct. I am correct. And there's a lot of things now in football that are taken for granted in terms of the science and players' diets and training methods. It's all been honed to to the fine art that we know in 2018. But... Back in November 1994, when I was at Everton and Willie Donick and Joe Royal arrived... And you were only 35 years I old. I was a relatively young man in my prime. And that's what, clearly, Joe Royal and Willie Donachy knew what they had. They knew the power that was in front of them. I was like a footballing Thor. And... You, <laughs> what, you, you unfreezed ice. I didn't have the hammer, though. Anyway, I had a great left foot. I can open a can of beans. But anyway, anyway, it's about the methods that they brought in. The 1990s, it's a long time ago... It's a long time ago. It's, it's a good 14 years ago. Let me just yes. check. No, it's 24 years ago. It's 24 years ago. Maths is not my strong point, <laughs> which makes this even more incredible. The kind of stuff that they, they started to bring into the club, and this was Willie Donachy because he was way ahead of his time. Group meditation was one of the first really? things. You, your furrowed brow, Stephen, says it all. Group, Group meditation. meditation. So when they first came in, they said, this is how we're going to do things. You've got to appreciate things are going to have to change. And these are the kind of methods that we use. So they started putting all different tra- training twice a day, three, three times a week, starting to work with weights, doing flexibility, doing core strength, X, all this kind of stuff. And group meditation. And everyone was a bit kind of, hang on a minute, this is football. This is, this is not going to work, is it? You want to say something, Steve? Yeah, I can no, see I'm it. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine the reaction of a 1990s footballer to this. Exactly, concept. exactly. But then once we started to do it and things started to improve 
and results started to come. Everybody then threw themselves into this. But specifically with me as well was the amount of work we did on set pieces, free kicks, corners. And Willie and I used to work a one-on-one. Again, it's a set of meditation techniques about how to calm, before you take free kicks, how to calm everything in your mind. Feel the, the turf underneath your boots. It's, you, you laugh. I was doing the same thing when all this, when you're saying, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to concentrate on. But don't I just kick the ball as hard as I can, Willie, into the net? Well, yeah, we're going to probably get to that. But how do we get to that? And it was the work that he put in. And it was this, again, the group meditation with all the players together and then taking people off and doing different things individually with players. And this was the thing that we did with the, uh, with the free kicks. Um, calming the mind and blocking everything out and okay, concentrating t- t- exactly. St- Steve, I, Rory, we're all going to take a free kick. Yes. So take us through the... the imagine we are a patient. Or just do it with me. Imagine I am a patient because yes. I'm noticeably scatty. So, so. The, so the ball the ball isn't going to move unless it's a really windy day. So this was, again, the, the, just the physics and the, the science behind what we're looking to do here. The ball isn't going to move. The nets are not going to move. The goal is not going to move. So what we're working on is how we strike the ball and how we feel when we strike the ball, giving yourself the best possible chance of the best possible outcome. So again, breathing techniques. We used to stand over the ball. like the See the rugby players? Exactly. You, you've got it. That's excellent. Net. In through the nose. I'm swimming in your baby Three times. Right now. So this is, this is it. This is what happened. I, I, I get into trouble if I breathe too heavily. Yes, exactly. So you only okay, do it. Please don't do that. On command as yeah. part of a breathing technique. Well, that's why your free kick technique <laughs> will be terrible. poor. So <laughs> anyway, so time. starting to calm everything down because what you're trying to do is take away the emotions of maybe what's happened. You've been running about. You've been tackling. Everything has to be calm because what you're trying to concentrate on is that contact that you make on the ball. So it's the breathing. And it's what you, he, he try, it's really strange. He was saying, well, Feel the ground underneath your feet as you're doing all this. Can you have I'm you? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Have you I'm, got training also, shoes on? Are you wearing training the shoes? Beneath my feet. Yes. Right. You have to be stood up. You obviously sat down with a cup of tea in your hand. It's not quite the same <laughs> effect. It's hard to hit a decent free kick with a, you know, a Tetley's in your hand. So this is what. But you had to work on actively. And again, by doing all this, the breathing and the concentrating on the the important things. The crowd became immaterial. The wall that was being assembled in front of you became immaterial. The goalkeeper became immaterial. And I suppose most people looking at a free kick think, well, isn't that all vitally important? Well, no, it isn't, because the only thing that's going to affect what happens is how you strike that ball. A wall, a goalkeeper, can't affect it if you get it right. So again, Willie was streamlining things down into giving you the best possible chance of a, of a good outcome. And you see the rugby player, he was very keen if you watch rugby players. Again, the ball is static, the target doesn't move. OK, you've not got a wall in front of you, but still you're trying to get the contacts on the ball to be absolutely right. And if you see the rugby players, Johnny Wilkinson, all this kind of routine that he went through, and that's what they practice. And again, it's about breathing, it's about centering, it's about feeling where you are and working on just striking through the ball and not looking where the ball is going to end up as well. Golfers, golfers do this as well when they're, when they're playing shots. So again, Willie had watched all these sports and then was saying, well, how can we apply it to football? And this is what we did. And it worked. I, I thought, again, this, uh, this can't be, this can't be. Right. But when you start to practice this, it's extraordinary what a difference it makes. Can you apply it to any non-sporting things in your life? Have you centred yourself mm. before, for example, mowing the lawn? Or before pruning the roses, because I know you're very into both. I, you know, I felt for a second there you were going to be half intelligent and say before a big cup final or before no. a huge game at Wembley, which again is absolutely what I do. 
you again, you've got to concentrate on the job at hand and getting the words out and getting the information out in the right possible way. And yes, you do. It's something when you start to do these things, you build them into other aspects of your life because you can't be affected by three or four different issues if you've got to concentrate on one thing in front of you. So mowing the lawn, yes, I do centre myself and my lawns are terrific. They are manicured beautifully. But it is, and that again, I have to thank Willie Donachie for, it's, it's focusing and centering on what is absolutely, maybe that's the, that's the bigger picture here. Life isn't just about taking free kicks, which I've found in the last 25 years. Oh. I haven't taken so many, oh. which is a bit odd. That's a bit of a weird moral But again, story. that can be applied. But it was just so mind-blowing, and the effect it had on me, and I had, I'm sure I told the story when we were with England training, and I was taking free kicks with Beckham, and, yes. and even Glenn Hoddle said, what on, what on earth are you doing? And I said, well, this is, this is what Willie got, this is what we do. So, he so even got, he went and got Eileen straight into it. And said, <laughs> so, but he, even he, who was a brilliant striker, he was a brilliant free kick taker. He was really interested in because it was so unusual and it's not what people did, but it had a huge effect on me and it's had a huge effect on the, the massive success I've had in my life since. So now we know when there's silence during a game that Chinch is commentating on, it's not because of his brevity of words, it's because he's centering himself before the big moment. Are you taking this seriously? I have I'm a taking f- it very seriously. Because before I do the podcast, I centre myself. <laughs> really? And that's why I produce such such great pods. Okay, if you could, yeah. uh, if you could just uh, give us a moment and go off and centre yourself somewhere else just for a moment. Um, but thank you. Can I just, the greatest example of this working brilliantly was Everton against Queen's Park Rangers at Queen's Park Rangers was oh, a goal I scored, moment. the free kick I scored to win the game, probably kept Everton up, which it did. Uh, <laughs> that was when everything came together in one. The relaxation, the strike of the ball, goalkeeper's immaterial, wall can't get anywhere near it, ends up in the top corner. Yeah, so that's a perfect example of, of what, how, you can, how it can be put, to, put, put into place. Less a soccer story, more a soccer lesson. Chinch. I think so. Life lesson. Thank you. Uh, just before we go, you will have noticed this is our 93rd episode, which means the big century is just around the corner, around seven-ish corners. Like anyone with an anniversary coming up, we'd like to fill our heads with loads of amazing ideas of what to do before eventually realising that it's logistically and financially impossible to do it, so we just buy flowers instead. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to give it a try anyway. So if you think that there is something that we should do for episode number 100, think big, small, serious, silly, let us know. And at the very least, we'll all be reassured that you are more creative than the four of us. Uh, So here's how you do that. It's the same way you do lots of things, at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com or facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Do let us know um, and we'll try and enact some of them, perhaps none of them. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. A thank you to Steve, to Rory, to Andy and to you all for listening. We'll all be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. What was the big, small, what was the other word? And silly, big? Big, small, serious, silly. Hang on a minute. Big, small, serious and silly. That could no, easily... Big or small, serious or silly. Yes, but I'm going to say it's in terms of the four podders. Oh, right. So say you're going to assign if you let me... it right. <laughs> Go on then, he's had, a, he's had a busy day so far, Chinch. Brain's so, not operating at full capacity. Wait a minute. Big, small, serious and silly. That perfectly describes the quartet, doesn't it? I'd be big. Right. Rory would be silly. I'm definitely serious. Serious? What does that make you? Oh, really? The tallest one of the lot. Right, fine. Yeah, small, yeah. small-minded. Yeah, you've not really thought about that, have you? I think I have thought about that, and it's think, come out perfectly. I think you'll find you're big, even though you're the shortest. I am small, even though I'm the tallest. 
Stephen is serious, even though he's the first one to joke about very, very, very serious things on text. And <laughs> I don't think Rory is allowed to be silly because he is from Cambridge University. There's no way you are bigger than Rory. Go on, stand next to him. We'll have a measure off. I'll get a book and we'll see where you measure.